How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I'm your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensie. Tim, how's it going, sir? Snowed in. Really? Is it snowing in Calgary right now? We had a blizzard last night. Oh, Jesus. Well, yeah, Tim, th- well, Tim thankfully, you're inside instead of outside right now. Yeah, no kidding, uh, for the four cosplayers at Calgary Comic Expo. Hopefully their cosplays are still intact. For sure, man, for sure. You know, Tim, every time we've gotten the opportunity to do an interview, whether it's a fellow podcaster or a member of the hockey blogging community, I always write up a short intro like this. With our interview this evening, I don't know if I could write one long enough that could truly do our guest justice. Our guest this evening began his broadcasting career with Sportsnet in 2001 after brief stints working for the Ottawa Lynx AAA baseball team and the Ottawa Senators in their PR departments, covering a number of Stanley Cup finals and... MLB World Series while also covering the Senators for Sportsnet East. He would later leave Sportsnet joining TSN 1200 where you can find him alongside Sean Simpson as co-host of The Drive. And Tim, I make no bones about this when I say I have been waiting a very long time to say this. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us from our nation's capital, Ottawa, Ontario, our guest, Ian Mendez. Ian, how you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Taylor and Tim, thanks so much for uh, having me. Uh, yeah, it's an honor to be on Hey, the honor's all ours because, you know, you've been one of our guests that we've really wanted to have on for a long time. And usually for these kind of big interviews, we always bring up that Tim and I have a interview wish list. And we're really honored to know that we get to cross your name off here today. I need to know who else is on this wish list. Oh, well, see, I can't I can't disclose that on the air, though. <laughs> now, off the air, absolutely, we'll disclose that, no problem. But, you know, we don't want to uh, spill any secrets on the podcast. So, Ian, you know, and like I said, we're really honored and it's a real pleasure to have you on. I guess the real burning question that we got to ask you right off the bat, Ian, where were you when you learned the Colorado Avalanche lost the 2019 NHL entry draft? Okay, you guys are going to find this funny, or maybe you won't, I don't know. I was actually on stage at Yuck Yucks, a comedy club in Ottawa, giving my first ever... uh, uh, try my hand and stand up for the first time as part of a night with Andre Waugh and PJ Stock they had me come out and do a set and I thought it would be fun and it was on whatever night that was I think April 9th if memory serves me and I got on the stage at about 8.30 8.40 and about halfway through my set which by the way I think went as well as it could have I, I noticed like at one point there was like a little bit of like a murmuring I thought oh man like, are, they, are they making fun of me or whatever but then at the end of it somebody shouted out Basically, to the effect as I wrapped up and I walked up, up, they yelled out that Colorado was picking fourth, New Jersey won the draft. And then I went back and I talked to somebody. They're like, "Yeah, that happened legitimately while you were on the stage." So that's why there was a little, <laughs> a little bit of a buzz and a distraction. I was like, "Oh, okay, that, uh, that that's okay." I thought it was because I was just junk uh, up on the stage. Well, it's nice to know that you know at least you weren't junk on stage, Ian. Well, that's yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm telling myself. That's what I'm telling. Yeah, it's funny, and I was telling Tim when I learned about it, because I work at an upscale private school here on Vancouver Island, and it was right in the middle of dinner service, and I could see it on the big screen, and I'd, all I said was, Bill Daly, flip that card over, and I just went, yes! Right for the students, like, oh, God, I swore in front of them. Oh, God, i got to go to the back and just keep my, <laughs> keep it together for a few minutes. Uh, but you know what, though, and I think, I don't know what you think, but because it kind of feels like we all went into that day thinking, like, Murphy's Law has enveloped the Ottawa Senators for the better part of 18 months. So I think all of us went into that Tuesday like, wow, it's a foregone conclusion. It's a fait accompli. The Avalanche are going to have the first pick overall. And when they when they end up with the fourth pick, I don't know how you guys felt, and obviously you let yourself your emotions uh, be known in front of these kids, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, hey, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, we can turn the page. I don't know. I, I, maybe, and maybe that's being uh, stupidly optimistic, but... I don't know, for the first time in a long time, it felt like it was a quote-unquote win for the Ottawa Senators. 
It's true. I mean, I know that I could breathe a little more easily knowing that they didn't win the draft. And I know that people on Sense Twitter were saying, if they had won it, we would have never heard the end of it for the next 10 years. If I may yeah, interject, oh yeah, I think so. this yeah, is absolutely. the bright side of not landing Taylor Hall. Oh, that's true. That's true. I love that. I love that he po- he pointed that out during the draft too. Yeah, that, that would be on my list of all time top ten tweets from NHL players. I think Taylor Hall's uh, tweet about landing first overall picks is uh, is a Hall of Fame tweet for me. I know because I know my cousin who is an actual New Jersey Devils fan. I know. I can't believe that there's actually one that it still exists. But you know. He is a Devils fan, and he was so excited to learn that he won the draft. And I told him, I'm so excited that Colorado lost the draft. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, exactly. I think it's uh, probably best case, uh, best case for the sense. Absolutely. So, Ian, in research for this interview, I actually learned a number of things about yourself, which inspired many of the questions we're going to ask this evening. But before we get into that, you attended Carleton University to do the journalism program, which you would graduate in 1998. Talk to us a little bit about what inspired you to get into journalism and how did you enjoy the experience of the program at Carleton? Oh, it was fantastic. And I mean, I think like a lot of people that are in, uh, in high school, and I grew up in Vancouver, actually, lower mainland, uh, Richmond for me. Um, I think like a lot of kids that you love sports, you're passionate about sports, you play sports. But you get to a point when you're you know, 15, 16, you realize I'm never going to make a living out of it. Baseball was my passion. I knew at you know, 15, 16, I was like, I'll never become a... Uh, basically a baseball player, but how can I still take the passion that I have for sports and turn it into a career that doesn't involve being an athlete, right? So it was, I think, an automatic thing for me. I'm a kid that grew up watching Hockey Night in Canada and, uh, you know, Major League Baseball and NFL Sundays, everything like that. So while watching the sport, you also kind of fall in love, I think, with the broadcasters and the idea that, oh, wow, you can do that for a living. So uh, at the time, in uh, my last year of high school, 1994, Really, truly, there's only two places uh, in Canada that had uh, reputable journalism programs. One was Ryerson out of Toronto, and the other was Carleton in Ottawa. And Carleton, I think, at the time had a little bit higher of a, a prestige factor, although I think the gap is closed. If, if not, they're comparable. But, you know, at the time, there's only two. And so for me, I I came out here, and I, and I thought, and I really, I truly thought, that this was going to be a four-year stop. I thought, I'll come out here, I'll get my J-School degree, I'll go back west, I'll go back home to Vancouver and, uh, you know, cover the Canucks or, come, you know, do something back back home. And then, obviously, ended up just uh, falling in love with the city, falling in love with uh, everything that, uh, that Ottawa has. And um, I love the program. The, the program itself was great. It was probably catered and geared towards um, political reporters more than anything, I think. Uh, Carlton really wants to churn out sort of this Globe and Mail, CBC covering Parliament Hill type of reporter, but there's an opportunity for you to, uh, at the very least, uh, try and pursue different avenues for sports and, uh, and listen, it was a great four-year program, I would never even say one uh, truly disparaging thing about it, it was uh, it was an, an amazing uh, four years of my life. Oh, that's awesome to hear. And it's funny you were talking a little bit about your passion for baseball because after graduating from Carleton, you began working in the PR department for the Ottawa Lynx AAA baseball team. How long were you with the Lynx in their PR department? And also, how do you also get to work as their mascot on a couple of occasions? <laughs> that's a great story. Uh, so I was there for about two and a half years. So literally right out of uh, journalism school. In fact, while I was writing final exams in uh, April of would have been 1998 I was simultaneously working at the Ottawa Lynx because their season started our season started kind of first week of April so I was uh, I had to go to them and say like hey listen uh, do you mind if I have Thursday off I got to write a, uh, a law exam right? I got to write a, a J school exam and they were great but uh, you know they, they, they brought me into their uh, media relations department and it was a uh, it was great I remember making $400 a week and I was just blown away that I could actually get paid for working in a uh, in a media relations department and in a sport and a thing that I loved in, in baseball, so the thing that I would really encourage most young people to do, and, and it's it's transferable, I think, whether it's uh, you have a career in journalism, PR, whatever it is, if you get an opportunity to get a job like I did with the Lynx, it's amazing because you end up doing everything, and I mean everything. I mean, I'm writing press releases, I'm setting up interviews. Hey, it's uh, pouring rain outside, you need to run outside and uh, pull the tarp. Um, you mentioned the mascot a couple of times. I had to be the mascot. And, uh, I had to be the mascot one time at the um, uh, 
Santa Claus parade because the guy that actually played Lenny the Lynx on a full-time basis was a Muslim guy who just felt like, for religious reasons, couldn't participate in the Santa Claus parade. And I was thought, that, okay, then I don't know how I became the next logical candidate to, to suit up, maybe because they felt my body type was perfect for the mascot, I don't know, but I had to do a Lenny the Lynx, I had to walk all the way from City Hall in Ottawa, which is on Laurier and Elgin Street, all the way out to uh, Up Bank Street to uh, uh, to Lansdowne, <laughs> oh, excuse me, and it was, it was a bitterly cold day, and I just, you know, I, it was a frustrating experience, but it was the only time, really, that uh, I was truly the mascot for an extended period of time, they needed me to do it one other time in-game, I just had to run around the bases against the kid, and and that was it. But but that's the thing about I think working for a minor league baseball team is like you do a little bit of everything. You're like I said, you're pulling tarp, you're 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 putting out fires. You're, you're sometimes you're dealing with fans who have questions. You're uh, dealing with the players, and that it, it was awesome. It was two and a half years, and um, I loved it. I loved every uh, you know. It was a lot of a lot of work. It was like sometimes 80, 85 hours a week, and very little pay. But um, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys if I didn't uh, if I didn't do that job. For sure. Now, a quick question I've always wanted to know, and I shouldn't have maybe actually looked into this, but when during the time you were working for the Lynx, was were they the AAA affiliate to the Blue Jays or the Expos? Uh, the Expos, yeah. They, in fact, they were never they were never the Blue Jays' AAA affiliate, which I think is one of the things that would have really helped. Like, because after the affiliation ended with the um, with the Expos, maybe around the year two thousand one, two thousand two, somewhere in that ballpark, Baltimore came over. And they were the Orioles AAA affiliate, and uh, I think that was it up until the end. But but yeah, it was uh, it was always the Expos. Uh, it was always the Expos. Just moving away from baseball, I there's a couple of players I wanted to ask about for the Ottawa Senators, given the number of years that you've covered the team. And I'm going to start off with Alexei Yashin because. Something that I don't think many people would know about you, Ian, is that before covering the Sens on TV and on radio, you spent some time working for the team in their PR department. Now, in learning that, I wanted to ask about Alexei Yashin because I can only imagine what kind of a PR nightmare he was in those final couple of years as a senator. So what was that, what was that like going through a situation like that, working in their PR department? And do you feel time has officially healed the wound given that he was at the alumni game at Parliament Hill? Yeah, you know, it's a great question because my first year working with the Senators in their PR department was the 2000-2001 season, which was Alexei Yashin's last season in Ottawa. And if you recall, the season before is the year where he sat out and then he came back basically forced by the NHL to come out and play your last year of the contract. And he came back and for me it was really interesting because here I thought uh, a team that had, uh, you know, Chris Phillips, uh, Daniel Alfredson, Sean McEachern, you know, some... Some guys on that 2000-2001 team that were, you know, kind of the veteran guys. I always assumed that when Yashin came back, you know, he'd just kind of be welcomed back into the fold. And it was the weirdest thing. I'll never forget because rookie, kind of rookie camp, training camp, we had this big team meeting inside, uh, I guess it was Krell Center at the time. And it's big team dinner and it's, you know, all the players are there, uh, PR departments, hockey operations. We're all in this big kind of, uh, kind of boardroom, uh, you know, having a meal. And Alexei Ashen, when he came in, he sat down with Peter Schatz-Livy and Ivan Chiernik and, like, the rookies, like, the kids, and not with the veteran guys. And I was, I remember being really struck by that, really, like, wow, he is not, and it's not that he wasn't welcomed back, I think, welcomed back, that there was this kind of awkwardness, I think, all season long. It was a really, really weird year. Like, Yash, and he's a good guy. Like, Alexei is a really, really, um, I think kind-hearted guy who maybe just made a couple of poor uh, business decisions. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question about whether or not the time has healed all wounds, I I think so. I think you go back and you see the fact that he was able to come to the alumni game and he got a pretty warm ovation. And like he came back, like like I, I think the same thing about Alex Gang. I think the same thing about a lot of guys that have left. And the one I don't know about yet is whether or not the time is healed on the, on the Danny Heatley one. I, that one I'd be curious to see. But um, I think for sure, time has healed the uh, the Yashin wound. Where people, I think you go back and you look at the time when Alexei Yashin was great here. And I think if you were, depending on your age, if you were a kid growing up, like you have really good memories of that. Like, and I think right now with the organization being in a little bit of a state of flux, where I think it's very hard to grab onto tangible things today. I think we tend to go back to the times uh, when we loved the team. 
team and we love where they were going. And Lexi Ashley was a big part of it there in the late 90s. So I think for sure the time has healed uh, the wound on, uh, on Yashin. For sure, because I know that I myself flew out to Ottawa for the outdoor game a few years ago and I was at Parliament Hill for the alumni game and I remember seeing Alexi Yashin thinking, wow, like I never thought Alexi Yashin would ever come back in the good graces of the Senators given how his departure ended. But I guess with, like you are saying, with the departure of Danny Heatley about 10 years ago, maybe that's why that things have maybe changed and time as always has healed that wound. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, again, and, and it's interesting, right, because when Danny left, Danny Heatley in the summer of 2009, uh, um, I think at the time there was a lot of anger, there was a lot of uh, people saying, I can't believe you turned your back on the team, the city. And then now you look back and you think, think, you know, so many guys have left under different circumstances, whether it's Jason Spencer, Alfie, uh, Eric Carlson, Matthew Shane, like, whoever else you want to put in there, Kyle Turris, like, everyone had their own reasons, but because there's been so many departures, I wonder if it kind of mitigates Heatley a little bit, where people look back, I'm not saying that they accuse him or forgive him, but I mean, maybe they look at him a little bit differently for wanting out, um, now than they did maybe 10 years ago? Well, I think maybe the reason why that people are still angry at Heatley is because, and talking about Alexei Yashin, was that, and I'm sure that you recall, that the Senators and Yashin always butted heads regarding money. And Yashin felt like he deserved the big-time raise compared to Alexander Degg because he had put up greater numbers than he is. Heatley, on the other hand, the Senators gave him everything he wanted, and he still left. Yeah, exactly. I think I think on, on Heatley, it really felt like people felt like... And I think everybody, if you talk to 10 different people, they'll tell you 10 different rumors they heard about Heatley, right? Like, everyone's got a, a theory on Danny. Wanting to play. I can tell you, Danny's actually come back here a couple of times in the last couple of years, <laughs> excuse me, back to Ottawa. And, you know, I think, I think if he had a do-over, and I'm sure I, my heart of hearts tells me that at some point here he's going to speak. And I'll reach out to him for sure because I think this summer is the 10-year anniversary. I'd love to reach out to him. I've heard through the back channels, and I've been in contact with him too um, in the last couple of years, but I've heard through the back channels that I think I think he misses it here. I think he knows he made a mistake leaving here. And I think he'd like to express that, I think, at some point. that That's what I think is going to happen. And I, I, I think that the people that, that cheer for the Ottawa Senators might be I think might be willing to forgive. It's been 10 years, and I think people are willing to forgive and move on for a guy that was a focal point in arguably the two greatest years this team ever had, 05, 06, 06, 07. Back-to-back 50-goal years. Um, say what you want about uh, all the other stuff. I don't know if and when we'll see another 50-goal score for Ottawa in the year in which they get to the Stanley Cup. So I think um, I think he's a guy that um, we kind of we need to let... We need to let that one go and let the, I guess, let the water be under the bridge on Heatley. And I think 10 years is a good timeline. Okay. Another player I wanted to ask about, given that he also was a very polarizing figure with the Senators, is the now late Ray Emery. Razor has always been a polarizing figure when talking about the Senators, especially, like you're saying, during the glory years. And it's amazing how things can change in a year, given that Ray went from being a guy who was seen as a character and a personality off the ice to somebody who was seen as a distraction. While I've always maintained he always got a bit of a... I feel he got a bit of a raw deal with how his tenure with the Senators ended. It seemed like the negative perception of Emery began to change after he returned from his hip injury and later won a Stanley Cup with Chicago in 2013. Do you feel that perception has changed regarding Emery as time went on? And do you feel said perception will now forever be seen in a positive light, given his passing last summer? Yeah, I do. And I think you go back, and Ray Emery remains one of the most unique, talented, and I guess paradoxical. I don't even know what the words are. Like, I'm struggling to find the words to describe Ray Emery because I don't know that I've ever covered an athlete like him before, and I don't know that I ever will. Uh, again, and, and and he was a guy that um, was tailor made for I think what the NHL is kind of moving towards today a little bit more with a little bit more personality, a little bit more of the social media stuff. Where you know, ten, eleven years ago, it was kind of to stay in the box. I think for the most part, some of the hockey culture is starting to relax a little bit. I know there's still the old guard establishment, but, and that's fine. But I think Ray would have fit in in a weird way. Ray would have fit in better today than he did 10, 11 years ago. I think he was a little bit ahead of his time in terms of having a little bit of a, a brashness and personality and a flair. And, um, yeah, I, hey, listen, I think 
And, and there's another guy that I know, if you could have gone back and asked Ray Emery to have a do-over, would he have done it differently? 100%. I think there was a real maturation with this young man um, after the hip injury. And you got like you got to remember, for everybody that questioned his dedication and hard work, and I think it was fair. I think it was really fair the way that we questioned some of his work ethic and some of his um, his habits in 2007, 2008. I think that was fair. But you come back from arguably um, a long, like a, a hip injury that is equivalent to what Bo Jackson dealt with. And you tell me, can a lazy person do that? I don't think so. I think there was an absolute maturation and realization as Ray got older that I need to work at this. And at 23, it, life came so easy to him. The game came so easy to him. And I think later on he realized I needed to put in the work. And I think all of us were so – I was so happy uh, when he won that Stanley Cup with Chicago in 2013. I got, that was the last Stanley Cup I ever covered. I was so happy to see him win the Stanley Cup because I thought, you know what, this is a guy that's put in the work and he's been through the ringer. He's been to Russia. He proved that he just wanted to play hockey at the end of the day. So it's too bad that that passion and fire and dedication in 2013 wasn't there in 2007, 2008. Because if it was, guys – I honestly think Ottawa might have been a Stanley Cup champion. He was that good of a goalie. He was that athletic. It's just, uh, unfortunately, the Stars didn't align. One thing I noticed that's been coming up again and again when we're talking about players like uh, Heatley and now uh, Ray Emery is that a lot of them, if they look back on it, you think they would have a do-over. For me, I'm kind of getting from that is that there was something really special in that locker room. Uh, Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's what the players tell me all the time is that, especially in those kind of 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9, even up till about, you know, there's been some great magical runs uh, around this team. But that, that group of guys, like for me, that, and that's the group that I first covered uh, coming up, Alfie, Jason Spetzer, Chris Phillips, Mike Fisher, Wade Redden, um, like those guys, Patty Laleem, um Boy, it's it's one of my it's one of the, the biggest th- uh, disappointments as a, as a reporter as a journalist is not seeing those guys win a Stanley Cup because that, that's a good group of human beings, you know. That's a good group of people that I think they love playing for this team and they love playing for this city. And there's a pride there that yeah, listen, in the last eighteen months of that pride gone away, absolutely it has. But I think it can come back, and I think this it kind of comes in waves and it's. It's cyclical, but when, when you see that type of emotion and you see um, that connection that the, the guys had, and even up until even 2012, 2013, that kind of pesky Sens group that made the playoffs and gave the Rangers a run for their money in 2012 and uh, disposed of the hats in 2013, there was a great energy and positive feeling around that team that hasn't been there. Even in, and here's the weird thing, and, and, and I think if you talk to guys that were there in 2017, and they went on that deep run, and they had some... Hey, listen, did they have some great moments, like Clark McCarthy scoring an overtime? Yeah, absolutely. But that locker room and that feeling was not as harmonious. And I don't think the connection with the fan base in 2017 was the same as it was even in 2013, in a weird way. I, I, I can't describe it. I feel like I have a pretty good pulse for the fan base, but I feel like that 2017 run was like, yeah, this is great, but I'm not quite as connected as I was in 2013, as I was in 2012, as I was in 2007. And, and again, I think that stuff can come back. I think it's cyclical, but um, I, I definitely think 9, 10, 11, 12 years ago, there was a, a great connection uh, inside, that, uh, inside that locker room. Wonderful. Thank you. So, Ian, a few moments ago, we were talking about Ray Emery, who was a high-profile minority during his career. And we feel this is a valid subject to bring up, given your status as a high-profile minority in Canadian sports media. And obviously, times have changed. And I, I can go back 15, 20 years ago watching TSN or Sportsnet, and it seems like you rarely saw minorities on those networks, whether it was from an anchor standpoint or reporters, with a few exceptions, like a John Liu or a Farhan Logji. Nowadays, with social media being as prevalent as it is and with people being more acceptive or accepting to diversity, you're seeing networks either consciously or organically making decisions to have more minority groups presented in those kinds of roles with people 
including, like I said, John Liu from Homology. Like, you're looking at, you know, Milt Stiegel, you're looking at Nabil Kareem, yourself, Jermaine Franklin, David Amber, and even uh, Cabby from TSN. And you can also look at CBC's doing games in Punjabi, and TSN was the first network to have the all the first all-female Sportsnet duo with Caperness and Natasha Staniszewski, and of course, with their Engraved on a Nation, the, one of the most recent stories they did, they covered the LGB, LGBT community with pro wrestler Kenny Omega. So, given your status in the Canadian sports media landscape for almost 20 years, when did you first begin to notice that minorities were being represented more and more in those roles? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, great topic, because, yeah, I think, honestly, like, in the, in the early 2000s, it was, I was absolutely an outlier in a predominantly white sport, right, where you, you go into it, and it's, you know, it was John Lou, myself, and I think for our at the time, and, uh, Jermaine came in, uh, Jermaine Franklin was there at, at TSM, but, you know, yeah, it was not a place where it was common to see uh, visible minorities covering hockey. In fact, I still think of going down, uh, I can never, I'll can never i never forget, I was in Nashville uh, doing a sense game. And I'm in the hallway, and they, they have this like group come by. And uh, they're giving a tour, and they're kind of giving an all-access tour. And this group comes by, and they were like blown away. like, And they weren't super nice about it, but they were blown away that I was covering hockey. They were like, you? You're covering hockey? And it was like, Wow, like, okay, uh, yeah, I cover hockey, and it's like, okay, uh, I get it now. And I, that, that's why I think it's great that PK, PK Subban went to that market, because I was thinking, yeah, it's um, it, it, it's still the odd time you get the comment of, oh, I can't believe you cover hockey or whatever, but I think that that ship has really sailed, and I think Hockey Night doing games in uh, Punjabi, I think, uh, as you mentioned, Sports Center, the, the all-female team uh, that they've had on a number of occasions, it's gotten to the point, I'd like to think it's gotten to the point where it's just kind of normalized. You don't look on your TV screen and see a visible minority. You don't look at a Blue Jays game and see Hazel May and um, Arash Madani uh, reporting uh, on a field level Rogers Center and think, oh, that's weird. They're, they're filling a quota. No, they're not. They're, they're filling it with a mentally talented people that just happen to look a little bit different than field reporters looked 15, 20, 30 years ago. So I think it's great. I think it's awesome that... Um, what you hope is an invisible minority who's got a, uh, a platform. What you hope is that at some point, some kids were watching TV or listening to the radio when I've been on and think, hey, I, I can do that just because I'm not, uh, I'm not white or I'm not Caucasian or I'm not of a certain background doesn't mean I can't cover a sport or be a broadcaster. So to, to, to even think that, you know, I've had, I've had, and it's, it's been pretty cool. Like I've had um, young reporters come up to be visible minorities and say like, hey man, I watched you growing up, but I've always wanted to be like you, which A, makes me feel old, super old at 42. Uh, B, it, it makes me feel really proud, because I'm like, yeah, that's, I never thought of it that way, I never thought of it as, I'm going to go in and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, blaze a trail for <laughs> visible minorities to cover hockey, but it's pretty cool that, that uh, you see uh, you see things like that uh, kind of as commonplace. For sure, and I know for myself, not being a minority, and like I said, I was watching TSN Sportsnet 15 years ago and that wasn't even a thought in my mind like oh you know there's only one or two uh, minorial groups on tv and the rest are white but this is a question and i'll be perfectly honest with you and this is a question i was very on the fence whether or not i should bring it up because you know it is a topic that can be taken in so many ways and i know that i tried to word it as best as i could and the fact that you agreed to answer it i really am appreciative of that yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's a great topic. It's uh, it's something that I think it's it's really cool. Like you mentioned, like with the uh, LGBTQ community too. Like, there's a lot of things happening now that you know, seven, ten years ago, we wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have been talking about this this way, right? But I, I think I, it feels like, I, and I know that there's a great uh, battle going on uh, politically in terms of left versus right, you know, whatever. But it, it does feel like the needle is pointed in the right direction when it comes to kind of social issues in hockey where I don't, look, I think hockey had their head buried in the sand for a long, long time. And uh, could they be better? Yeah, of course. And, and look, everyone could be better. But there's certainly improvements um, in the last five years that I don't think I could have seen a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And it's not just 
on TV that you're seeing more minoral groups. And with hockey, you know, you're looking at guys like P.K. Subban, you're looking at Josh Hosang, you're seeing all those more and more minoral groups even on the ice now. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, you're seeing, um, I know that uh, there's a story today about the, the young kid, the hockey player from Japan, and I apologize because his name escapes me, but uh, this is the kid that was like the YouTube sensation that has like crazy bad skills. And, you know, you never would have thought about, oh yeah, there's a, uh, you know, hockey player you know, from Japan with potential NHL aspirations. Like, that's, that's the cool thing about the game is that uh, it's no longer just a kid from North Bay uh, getting out, you're thinking of uh, Tom Cochran's big league, and, and that's the only way to get to the National Hockey League, right? If there is a million different ways to get to the NHL, and it doesn't have to be on a, in a cold northern Ontario town or uh, rural Saskatchewan to get to the NHL, I think, I think the game is better off for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure for uh, that kid coming from Japan, seeing somebody like Paul Korea in the NHL, who was a big-time superstar in the 90s, probably inspired him to pick up the sport. Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely. You know, Paul is probably one of the most influential athletes uh, that's come through that, that really probably didn't. I you know Paul never loved the limelight and, the, uh, and that aspect. To me, he's a Hall of Famer. And, you know, he's basically a point-of-game guy in just under a thousand games. And, uh, yeah, I think he had a tremendous, tremendous influence on, uh, on, that, uh, on that community, especially being a, uh, being a Vancouver kid. So switching gears here to something not as serious, when I began writing up the questions for this interview, I knew I wanted to include a question about a couple of sportscasters working for TSN, and that, of course, is Jay Onright and Dan O'Toole. Like many people, I used to watch Jay and Dan all the time back in the day when I was in high school. I loved what they did on TV and became a huge fan of their podcast, which was an inspiration for myself to want to start my own. Given that only recently you guys have worked on the same network, given that when they were with TSN, you were with Sportsnet, and then you joined TSN when they were with Fox before they came back. Given that you were a guest at their live show at Algonquin College, as well as a guest on the JNN podcast, what kind of relationship have you had with them? And what was it like doing their live show when they came through Ottawa? Oh, it, it was great. You know, so I've known Jay personally about nine or ten years. In fact, I think the first time I met him, I, can't, I think it was the Vancouver Olympics. It was one of the either the Vancouver Olympics or the London Olympics where I actually met him in person. Uh, for the first time, and I was, you know, I was, I was such a fan, just like you, I was a real big fan of his, because I think what he was doing uh, with, with, with Dan O'Toole 12, 13 years ago, it was awesome, like, it was really entertaining, it was fun, I thought that's what that's what sports should be, like fun, entertaining, and informative, and he was great, and, you know, I traded notes with him uh, well before that, just saying, uh, you know, big fan of your work, and, uh, and, and I was blown away that he wrote back and said he enjoyed my work, because... Uh, you know, I, I think I just put him on a different level. And so, yeah, I've kind of, you know, run in with him, uh, run into him, cross paths with him, whatever, a uh, handful of times over the years. And then when they were coming to do the show at Algonquin uh, about a month ago, just happened to be the same day uh, Eugene Melnick made his infamous comments about me, the, uh, the old Bush League comments, which I thought was, <laughs> it was funny timing. But I had just reached out to, to Jay and Dan well before that about coming in and doing a visit with a family here, uh, Roger Nielsen House. And Roger Nielsen House, for people who don't know, basically it's a uh, palliative care facility attached to the Children's Hospital uh, here in Ottawa. And there's this, this young man here, he's 11 years old, and he's a huge fan of Jay and Dan. And they were trying really hard. They reached out to me, is there any way you can get Jay and Dan to come by the house? To Jay, and I said, listen, can you do this? And Jay Onright wrote back and uh, said, you know what, absolutely, to, to help out a young man who watches. So they... They came by the house, and Jay and Dan came by the kids' house and spent about half an hour, and just, you know what? It was amazing. And then so then that night, uh, he had slipped me a couple tickets to the show, and so I took a buddy and I went. And I didn't think I was... I had no idea they were going to call me up on stage, but because I think because of the fact that I was kind of in the news cycle that day, um, they're like, well, let's bring him up here. So I went up there, and it, you know what? It was a lot of fun because... Um, the crowd was really great, and they were really supportive. And Jay and Dan are just like I said; they're, they're hilarious guys, but they're really um, they're very natural. There's no kind of uh, they're just easygoing guys. Like like what you see on television is what you get in reality. Whether you're just chatting with them uh, on the side or whether you're on stage with them, so uh, you know it, it was great to do that. It was a lot of fun, and uh, and I think the people that were 
were there in attendance, I think, had, uh, had a lot of fun that night, too. That's awesome to hear, because I know when Jay and Dan announced that they were going to go do a show at Algonquin College, they put out on Twitter, who would you want to see as our guest? And I was looking through all the comments, and it was like, Ian Mendez, Ian Mendez, Ian Mendez, and somebody <laughs> somebody would throw, you know, Brian five or six, or they would throw somebody in there, and I'm just like, and when I heard it, I'm thinking, I bet you anything they're going to get Ian Mendez as a guest for that show. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, honestly, they, they just, they were nice enough to give me tickets, but there's honestly, there's no plan. They just, uh, legit just called me off the best in the middle of it. That's awesome. Do you mind if I interject for a second here, uh, speaking about Brian Five or Six, uh, what sort of relationship have you been able to have with Brian or other members of, other people who contributed a lot to Senator's social media? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I, I try, like, I try really hard. I know, I understand some, mainstream media people are dismissive of bloggers and podcasters and, and thinking like, hey, listen, I do this for a living and how dare you encroach on my space. I've always tried to look at it in the opposite way. Say, These guys and girls who do podcasts and blogs are the biggest consumers of what we do, whether it's on uh, print at tsn.ca, on television, uh, on radio for me, TSN Hunter, whatever it is, you guys and girls love consuming our stuff. So why on earth would we dismiss uh, anything that you had to say, a lot of, uh, in my opinion, a lot of podcasters and bloggers and writers are just as talented as we are. We just happen to have had uh, some break. So whenever I get a chance to like doing this podcast, I love doing this stuff with, like this. Brian Five or Six is is a great guy because I've I've gotten to know him uh, a little bit over the years. He's like before he was Brian Five or Six, he was just uh, you know uh, you know a regular blogger type guy. I, I did a show with bloggers maybe three years ago, I want to say, two, three years ago at TSN 1200. He's one of the guys I brought in. And, uh, we had some fun with uh, with his character and stuff. So I, I kind of feel fortunate to always say, oh, I knew Brian. I knew Brian five or six uh, before he became big. But I love uh, Grant Nichols from The Sixth Sense. I think um, he's as talented a writer as anybody you would find uh, in mainstream media. I love uh, Dave from uh, Sense Trip. I think amazing ability to capture the feeling of Senators fans maybe better than any other blogger out there, in my opinion. Um, so, I mean, I, I apologize because I know I'm probably leaving out a, a whole bunch. I, the whole gang at Silver Sevens, I love. I love reading their stuff. I love uh, engaging with them. And again, I apologize because I'm missing out on a whole bunch, but I love it. I think that's the most important community uh, to me as a broadcaster, as a journalist, is these are the most uh, passionate consumers of what we do. And I love, in turn, reading what you're writing and consuming what uh, what you're putting out because I think it's important to see what the fans are thinking so that when you go into a four-hour talk show, you have a little bit of an idea of the fan base. So, yeah, I'll go into Reddit. I'll go into maybe Against My Better Judgment. I'll go into HF Boys. I'll go into a lot of places because I think, I think it's really important to, to truly uh, get a sense of what people are thinking, and I think there's no better way to do that than to, to, to kind of engage with the uh, the bloggers and the podcasters. I love that you brought up the bloggers because I know that when they uh, TSN 1200 did a uh, what was it a throwback Thursday with all these Xsense players, and you guys had Radic Bonk on the show, and you were like, you know, Radic, a lot of people on Sense Twitter has asked, what are your thoughts on Bonk Smollett? And I remember hearing that, thinking, wow, like Ian Mendez really just asked Radic Bonk what he thinks of Bonk Smollett. Yeah, oh yeah, but but I think that's what people, because so many Senators fans followed uh, uh, Eric over at Fox Mullen, right? And for the longest time, I, I know he's probably hasn't really, he's really sort of taken a bit of a step back in terms of what he puts out there, and, uh, you know, not writing as much as, as, as he used to, and certainly not probably being as much of a Senators guy as he used to not living here anymore, but but I think a lot of people know him, so they, they love, like, when you get a, when you get a situation like that to, to ask Radic Bonk about Bonk's mullet. I think, I mean, wouldn't you rather hear his answer on that rather than some generic question or an answer about what's going on with the Senators right now? Yeah, that's fair. And I know that uh, I actually met Eric Dottie one time a few years ago after a Sens Canucks game. And I, I won't go into what happened. All I say is that I made a drunk ass of myself. <laughs> so, Ian, to close out the questions... 
We've got to ask because, and you're talking a little bit about uh, baseball and you work for Sportsnet. So to close out the questions, we wanted to ask you about something that I'm sure many people over the years have asked you. When you were working for Sportsnet, you covered a number of World Series. And while personally I'm not a baseball fan, my main image of you covering those events was in 2012 when you were a sideline reporter and you got hit by a foul ball. And what I found amazing about that, Ian, is that this is before you went on live. And it, you didn't even show like a sight of being hurt. You were just like, okay, time to be professional, go. So do you mind talking a little bit about that? And how often over the years have you been asked about that? Oh, I get asked about it all the time. It's, uh, it's great. I, I, I don't get tired because it, it's a pretty cool thing uh, that happened. And it's really important that you know that I am the softest guy on the face of the universe. Like, I mean, capital S soft. Like, I'm not a tough guy at all. So when that happened, and I got a, and I still don't know, even if you watch the replay of it, like you'll see this ball come out. I still to this day, I don't know where that came in from. I don't know who threw it or and the trajectory of it, it where I was standing, it couldn't have been uh, from someone taking BP. I don't know what happened, but it kind of hit me on, there's a little bone that sticks out, your ankle, basically your ankle bone. And it hit my left ankle bone. And it was like, as if somebody just took like a hammer and hit it, which maybe if I knew it was coming, I don't know. I don't know what was worse or not, but it, it stuck, and I was like, oh, my God. Okay, and they're, they're like, legitimately in my ear. They're like, hey, you're up in, you know, five seconds. Can you do this? I'm like, yeah, I think so, I think so. And then I just had to, I knew once uh, whoever was throwing, I might have been, uh, might have been Hazel May or whoever was throwing to me, Jamie Campbell. Actually, it was probably Jamie Campbell. Uh, I knew at that point, I was like, I, yeah, I don't I don't think I can, uh, I can act like, okay, yeah, if I'm back, I just got hit by baseball. No one cared. So I just sucked it up and I went to another place in my mind. And then, you know, at the end of it, I was like, okay, yeah, that, that hurts. Um, and I got through it. And I got off, I finished the, the hit. And I'll never forget the control room in Toronto was bursting out laughing. Like, I mean, bursting in my ear. They're like, that is the greatest thing. And then they phoned me like 10 minutes later and they said, we'd like to put this out on, on social media. We think this could go viral do we have your permission i'm like yeah of course of course i think it's uh it's a pretty funny thing and i think it was funny because i just went to a school the other day and uh if i go to talk to school students i usually show them that clip it's like a nice little icebreaker or whatever and it, it, you know it's over two million views on youtube which i laugh because it's like you think of all the things that i've covered in my life all the um the big events i think that i don't know that i will ever top that moment in my career it's just me getting hit with a baseball in san francisco but um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And, you know, I never get, get tired of it. Yeah, isn't that funny, eh? It's always like the blooper that you'll always be remembered for. And I remember there was, oh God, I can't remember her name now. It was one of the reporters down in the U.S. And I can't remember what happened. I think she was covering football and somebody threw a ball. And you could see it in the air and it cracked her running back of the head. And that became oh, yeah. a YouTube sensation. Yeah. It was like, wow. And I'm sure like she was a great reporter, but that's what she'll always be remembered for. Oh yeah, totally. I, I think there's there's one soccer ball. If you go look at uh, uh, a reporter, she really takes a soccer ball in the head. They're like kind of standing and doing a uh, like a quasi. Uh, you know, they have a little panel set up, and this soccer ball comes in out of nowhere. And those are the ones that are dangerous, like the like the footballs and the soccer balls, because now you're potentially like concussion territory, right? Like, be okay, whatever. This guy bruised his ankle, but you know, you take a you take a soccer ball to the head or a football to the head. Like you could, uh, you could be in for some uh, serious trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, even like with somebody like Jamie McLennan, who's between the benches during Sens games, and you see sometimes he gets hit, and it's like, man, like I know, like I understand Jamie was a former goalie, but it's different getting hit with a puck or a stick when you're in full gear than it is in just a suit. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. And actually, there's a perfect chance for me to plug the book I did with, uh, with Doodles there, Jamie McLennan, two years ago. Best seat in the house. You got to go out there and read it. Awesome. So, Ian, we really, we can never thank you enough for coming on. And I speak for myself, I speak for Tim, I speak for the fan base that forget what Eugene Melnick ever said about you being a Bush League reporter. You have been nothing but a class act to the fans. You've been nothing but a class act to the Sens and the city of Ottawa. And we cannot thank you enough. Now, I was wondering, Ian, if you can indulge us in a quick round of rapid fire. Yeah. Of course, I'm in. Okay. 
So just for those who don't know, Rapid Fire was a segment started, and we were just talking about them, Jandan. Started on the Jandan podcast when they were working for Fox Sports. However, since Jandan has come back to TSN and they started up the podcast, they have abandoned Rapid Fire. So I've decided to take it and make it my own. So Ian, first question I got to ask is, best drinking establishment in Ottawa? Just the best drinking establishment. You know what? I'm gonna give a shout out to the. I, I like the Senate in the market because uh, it's around the corner from work, and uh, if I'm going to watch a game, I like to go. Awesome. What is one thing you would recommend to see or do in Ottawa that isn't a tourist trap? Boy, for rapid fire, I'm really taking my sweet time uh, <laughs> answering these questions. Uh, boy, one thing. That's not a tourist trap. See, because everything is a museum here. Uh, can I say Billings Bridge uh, Mall, which is a terrible place, but I just want to send people to Billings Bridge? Sure. Yeah, we'll accept that. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. It is bizarre, but I can't think of anything else. I know, it's a tough one. I, I understand. Greatest senator not named Eric Carlson or Daniel Alfredson? I'm a Jason Spezza guy through and through, so I'll take Spezza. You know what? We've asked a number of people that question, and Jason Spezza is always the one that gets answered. Yeah. Yeah. Is it true that Brent Wallace has never been seen with a hair out of place? Uh, I've seen him with, a, with his hair out of place, but I don't think the public public has never seen Brent Wallace uh, with a hair out of place, but I, I certainly have. Crazy. At, and actually, at 2 a.m. Oh. Oh, that's rough. And it's funny that we were talking about the alumni game is that when I flew out there, and even though I'm sitting there and I'm seeing Parliament Hill and it's beautiful, snowing, and all these players I grew up watching, it didn't hit me. I was officially in Ottawa until I saw Brett Wallace walk by, and I was like, holy <laughs> shit, that's Brett Wallace. There you go. It was the hair, wasn't it? It was the hair. That's exactly yeah. what I noticed. If you had to do a 100-meter foot race between Dean Brown or Gord Wilson, who would you choose? I take it Gordon on that one. And I think even Dean would choose Gordon on that one. Nice. Troy Aikman or Roger Staubach? Uh, Troy Aikman for me. Okay. Do you think the Cleveland Browns will make the playoffs in 2019? Yes. I think they're going to be the most fascinating team in pro sports in 2019. And I say yes. Okay. So, Ian, to close out rapid fire, and this is a question that has divided Tim and myself for oh, the longest time. And we've asked two people about this. We're 0-2. Hopefully you can make this 1-3. Ian, burgers and fries forever. Overrated or best burger place in Ottawa? Ooh. See, I'm a works guy. So um, uh, okay. I, I, I might have to say uh, overrated. See, Tim, I can officially retire knowing that Ian Mendes took my side. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the works is really good. I never actually went there. Whereabouts in Ottawa is that, Ian? They're West the Works? Yeah. Oh, there's like 15 locations. Well then. I did not know this. Yeah, there's a few in Toronto now, too. Oh, is there? Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. If I ever go back to the East Coast, I'll have to check that place out. There you go. Well, Ian, that wraps up rapid fire, and I guess the only thing left that we can ask you is... And I'm sure this is kind of a redundant question given that, you know, I'm sure everybody who will listen to this follows you on Twitter. But for maybe the one or two people who is brand new to the Sens fan base, maybe brand new to Twitter, how can they find you on Twitter? Uh, at Ian underscore Mendes. Mendes with an S, not with a C. And, uh, and my email's, uh, email's on there too. Awesome. And how can the fans also find The Drive on TSN 1200 if they're not living uh, in Ottawa? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, everything's on the, uh, the iHeart uh, radio app. So if you download the iHeart radio app, no matter where you live in, uh, in Canada you can, uh, or North America, you can listen to us. Excellent. So one final thing before we officially close out this interview. And for everybody that we've ever asked to do this podcast, we always try to get them to reenact Dean Brown's now infamous hot sambacho call. So, Ian, can you give us a hot sambacho? Oh. 
I thought you were going to ask me to do a scramble. Oh, no. Can I do a, I do a Dean, Dean Brown scramble? You can do both. <laughs> I don't even remember, like, I don't even remember, like, all he said was, like, hot Sam Bacchio, right? That's all he said. Just need yeah. you, We just need you to reenact that. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> well, it's, I'm not going to lie to him. A little underwhelming, but I'll take it. Yeah, it was fun. It is. Anyways, Ian, thank you so much for doing this interview. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Anytime. Awesome. Have a good one. All right. Take care, guys. Hey, Tim. Yeah. Did we just really interview Ian Mendez? Yeah, that's what happened. And yeah, I'm still giddy. Oh, that was so good. That was so good. The fact that he admitted that Burgers and Fries Forever was overrated. I'm not going to lie. It made me pretty giddy. There was some concentration there, so he recognized it was a very good burger. That's true, that's true. Well, Tim, I guess with all that said, it's time to wrap up and head for the close, eh, bud? Yeah, but Yeah, there's nothing really more to say here. <laughs> for sure. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We're on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash thirdlineplugsensecast. And because our bot Dave made the mention, we're on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger, and I'm at Great White Gipser, G R 8 W Y T E Gipser. And if you want to shoot us an email to talk about our exclusive interview with TSN 1200's Ian Mendez, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. Until next time, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jancy. Go, Sons, guys. Woo! So long, my time here is up. They're going home!